usually you're like, oh, we got to run away from the cops. No, this one, it's like you're trying to become the ultimate tattletale. <laughs> it's like, I'm telling on you for skateboarding. <laughs> Good morning, and welcome to the Retro Junkies Podcast. I am your co-host, Landon, and as always, with me, the Mr. Retro, the Mr. Sega Genesis, the Mr. Master System, the one, the only, Bobby Sox Luther. (laughs) Wow, what an intro. Thanks, man. Oh, you're welcome. I was kind of uh, put up to do that intro way, too, to give you your your nickname. Bobby Sox, thanks a lot. So how have you been? <laughs> uh, pretty good, man. Uh, I've been great, and it's it's great to have you back, man. I'm I'm happy to be back. I feel I don't know. I feel like I've been away for a while, and coming into it, it's just kind of new and fresh again. Yeah, sweet, sweet. Well, well, listen, man. We got a lot of shout-outs to give, like always. The first one I think we we definitely need to give is to Brian Rapolo, who has uh, designed our website, which has officially been launched uh, over the weekend, uh, which is www.theretrojunkies.com. Brian has done a fantastic job on our website. Like, I think everything that we like has somehow been included on the website. What do you think? I think so. I was going to say, he nailed it. He knocked it out of the park on that. It has everything from reviews that we've written to our podcast to game videos. Mm -hmm. You know, the the old school stuff back when we were, before we had a podcast and we had to go over to Rob's house and record videos (laughs) for fun. Uh, the forums are where it's at, though. There's a lot of fun stuff. I know I saw a thread about NHL 94, which, which is which is awesome because I figured out there's a glitch, thanks to Rob, that you can do to get easy goals, <laughs> which is which is how he beat me when we played. No, no, that wasn't. No, I yeah, beat you fair wasn't. and square. No way, you you cheat. No, you're, take you're, off. I don't cheat. No way. You're you're the game genie guy. No way. I don't. Game Genie, I don't know what you're talking oh, about. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, right. What are Game Genie? Oh, get out of here. Well, so uh, uh, Brian's definitely one we want to thank. Uh, we do want to thank Rob McCallum, who uh, did the interview with us today for the NES Club. He was a, an incredibly nice guy, incredibly um, very knowledgeable about games. I was very impressed, and uh, we, we just it, it was an awesome interview. I wish I could have participated in that. I feel really bad. I went back to work that day, and then I get home, and I find out that I have a sick baby. Oh well, well, you know you gotta take gotta take care of family, man. Yeah, it, it was one of those things. I, I put family first, and I'm not regretting that decision. I no. I did want to talk to Rob though. I saw his uh, his Kickstarter video weeks before we had him scheduled to do the interview, and it that really drew my interest. I'm like, hmm, this is kind of a neat project. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it was awesome, and just to interview him, just to snag him for uh, about 30, 40 minutes. Before uh, he starts filming, I think we were one of his last interviews. I was very, very humbled to know that. So, uh, hey, Rob- hey, hey, hey. <laughs> 
So, Rob, we thank you for giving us the time, and we wish you the best of luck. Remember us when you make it big, Rob. Yeah, really. Give us some money, eh? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're broke. Uh, The next one is our good friend, Derek Slayton. As y'all know, uh, Derek is the the VGA, the video game archaeologist. His book on the Sega Master System, I think it just hit print this week, didn't it? It did. It it did. In color and black and white. And it's also on uh, PDF and iPod, or iPad, iPod, the Apple format. What, what I really like about his encyclopedia is it's not just, you know, bland, fact-by-fact fact stuff. I mean, there, there are details in there. There are specs in there. But what actually makes it a lot more fun is he just, you know, there's a lot of humor in the, in the encyclopedia as well. You, you can check all his stuff out at um, uh, www.thevgatv.com. Uh, he has it all for sale. So check that out and give him some support. He did it all himself. That is awesome. That's pretty cool. I like that. And, and he also has, like, the monthly It's kind of like – I kind of – equate it to the modern version of Nintendo Power where he has volumes of games and Mm -hmm. he reviews them and kind of gives his take on them and has some screenshots. I know the first one's free because I've been reading on that one and following volumes you have to pay for, but it's definitely worth the money, I think. Yeah, I I think it's every other month uh, he releases those, so uh, yeah, and everything's pretty cheap. I think it's only like uh, $2. You can give up a couple of sodas during the week for that now. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. The the iPad versions, they actually have interactive screenshots, but they also have videos of the gameplay, which I think is really cool. Uh, another guy we want to give a shout-out to is Nick Stevens, who is one of the co-hosts of the NES podcast. Nick is a really good friend of ours. He's promoted the heck out of us. We really appreciate it. And he has. He really has. And We he should ha- hire him for some PR stuff. <laughs> yeah, we should. And he's, you know what, he's very, very, he's remarkably similar to the guy that hosts uh, Genesis Gems with me. Really? Yeah, yeah, both pretty cool guys. I, I really like them. I've heard, I've heard the guy hosts Genesis Gems is pretty cool. You know, I, I think he's pretty cool. He's a pretty nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, another guy we want to thank is Ferg from the Atari 2600 Game by Game podcast. Ferg's just a guy that has promoted us continually, um, has had nothing but kind things to say about us. Uh, we really appreciate it. Um, it means a lot coming from you. And another podcast, um, No Quarter Podcast, has mentioned us a few times. Uh, they're a podcast that is dedicated to the classic arcade games from the 80s and I guess early 90s. Uh, it's a weekly podcast, so, so check them out. I love that show. Uh, another one, the Retro League podcast. They mentioned us a few episodes back. John actually brought that to my attention. I had no idea. Cool. And I heard it. I was like, wow, you know, they, they gave us a shout out. So we really appreciate it. This is true. Another podcast is Excess Gaming Podcast. I've gotten to know one of the co-hosts, James, really well. Uh, he's a really nice guy, and he's had a lot of nice things to say about uh, the show. And and uh, we, we really appreciate it, James. We love your show. Excess Gaming Podcast covers not only the, the retro games, but the modern games. It's a little, It's a nice blend of both. Those two co-hosts, James and I think Xander, they know so much about these games, way way more than I do. So uh, very informative, very fun podcast. Check them out. That's XS Gaming Podcast. Yeah, and, and the last guy, Brent Dolan. We got to meet him yesterday and talk about a nice guy. He Heck yeah. He's, he's the guy that's over, um, he was over the original Kong Off uh, that took place a few years ago. And he has, he has his own Facebook page providing feedback on our Facebook site. Very awesome guy, and we are deeply humbled to have somebody like that talking to us. So <laughs> Makes us feel like we're reaching the big time. Yeah, yeah, or at least we know people that are the big time. <laughs> That's right. Well, yeah. we know this. It's kind of like on uh, Billy Madison. Well, I know this guy. Yeah. No, yeah. you don't. Friends with, well, he's friends with a guy who, no, he isn't. <laughs> so, so, uh, so all you guys, uh, we really appreciate all the help, all the support. We just thank you guys. Really, it's so much fun to just interact with you all, and we thank you. 
Thanks, guys. Yeah, we thanks. love you all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have some announcements too, man. Announcement? Well, we've already mentioned the main one, and that's that our, our website is up. We don't care to shamelessly plug our own stuff. <laughs> Speaking of shamelessly plugging our own stuff, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we have two podcasts uh, we're working on. Well, actually, Genesis Gems podcast. We are two episodes into that. The first episode, we talked about Altered Beast, and the second episode, we talked about Road Rash. So we are doing that on a weekly basis. We try to record on Tuesday nights. Just basically where we focus on a single Sega Genesis game. We talk about the history, development, gameplay, and we talk about whether it's a gem or not. You know, does it does it hold up after all these years? So that's what Genesis Gems podcast is about. Um, Turtle Flakes podcast. That is a podcast dedicated to Ninja Turtles. I know you guys are probably turtles out, turtled out from um, episodes 6 and 7. So uh, Landon, uh, myself, and our friend Josh, we decided we would start uh, the Ninja Turtles podcast in early August, where basically it's going to be a bi-weekly podcast where the first episode of the month will be classic turtles, everything from the comics, cartoons, the games, the toys from uh, the 80s all the way up to 2003. And then the second episode of the month will be focusing from everything Ninja Turtles from 2003 on up. So hopefully we'll get this, get that started in August. Is that it for the announcements, my man? I believe that is. I believe we. I believe you knocked those out of the park, my man. All right. Well, let's see what's going on in our forums. It sounds so cool to say that, huh? I know. It's kind of like, yeah, this is our forums. It's not really our forum, it's everybody's forum. We just kind of administer it. Exactly. The first major topic I thought was really, really interesting that everybody's been talking about on our forums is the death of physical retro collection. When will it be time for these cards to malfunction? You know, it's it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. You know, because you think of the Atari 2600 cards and stuff, they're, they're pushing 30 years old now. It's amazing that they still work, but I wonder what's going to happen in the next 30 years. Are they still going to work? Will, will they take a lot of time and effort and money just to preserve these games, you know, these physical collections of ours. So what do you think, man? I'm kind of halfway on this. Mm-hmm. I, I think that the the physical retro gaming, there's always going to be a market for it. And yeah. there's always going to be folks who, for example, if you have like a Turtles in Time cartridge, you know, 30, 40 years from now, it doesn't work. There's, there's going to be a way to fix it. You know, it's going to be like, oh, well, you buy this chip and solder it to the board and, you know, it plays just like it did when it was brand new. John Wedgworth, our friend, kind of touched on that, that there's going to be ways to try to fix that stuff, and there's always going to be ways to try to keep it kind of maintained. And I think if, if folks maintain those collections, the, the physical retro co- gaming collections will never die. Yeah. There's always going to be the folks, you know, like me and you who have the games from our childhood. We took care of them then. We're going to take care of them till we get rid of them. Or, yeah. I think a lot of that stuff is, is really good, high-quality, like... You know, like you said, the Atari game still working 30 years later. That's a that's a testament to how solidly they were built. Mm-hmm. The the whole chip shorting out thing. I have had one game, one cartridge based game out of every cartridge based game that I've ever owned have the the chip go bad in it, and that's mm-hmm. Revenge of Shinobi. Like the chip, it just doesn't it doesn't fire up. It tries to fire up, and you can see it trying to work, but it doesn't. You know, that can be a very common thing in some Genesis cartridges is the the chip just goes bad. Then again, I've read that you can send them off to some places like some websites, and they'll recondition them with the same you know, chipset that they had and just download the game data into that chip and send it back to you. Yeah. How do you feel about, like, reissue systems? Like, um, I think somebody 
somebody said it on the forums, you know, what if they re-released a classic NES? You know, it's like a brand new, but it was designed the same exact way as the original NES. Say, uh, a brand new reissue of the Model 1 Sega Genesis. Do you think there's a market out there for them? I do. I think there's a market because... You know, you've got the folks like us who grew up with them. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the kids today that have these modern systems that don't really know about the 8 and 16-bit era. I think that would be a great way to introduce those folks new to gaming or new to the the retro scene to that without having to spend a whole lot of cash. You know, sometimes some of those NES, you know, the originals and the Sega Model 1s can go for a good amount of money. And mm-hmm. if you're just wanting to get started into the hobby, then that, that can be a little daunting. You know, you don't want to pay 60, 70 bucks for a console and not even know if you're going to enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And the thing I wonder about is, you know, sure, the the virtual console and everything, you know, that's that's nice. But just imagine, mm-hmm. you know, I think there's, I think it's more than just a niche market. Just imagine if there was a new Castlevania game on an NES cart that was released for one of these reissue models. You know, imagine, like, do you think yeah. that's, do you think that's impractical to have, you know, same style of artwork for these carts, uh, just just new games? Do you think like that could ever be a possibility? I think it could. I mean, I like that idea. I'm old school in the fact that even with new games, I don't like to download them. I like to have the disc or the cartridge there to see. And that kind of goes back to one of the comments on the forum. I think you made it that, you know, each physical disc or or, or cartridge or whatever, whatever medium you want to call it, uh, has a story tied to it. You can remember where you were how old you were and what you were doing when you got that game. Right. Yeah, I mean, that, that's why I don't. I, I try not to sell my, my old stuff because, you know, you, basically you're selling your family photos. That's how I look at it. Pretty know? much, yeah. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. See, like, I wonder if Nintendo would ever do, like, a side project like that. You know, I, I, I wonder if they would... Because you know there's a demand for retro for retro games. Now, the proof is in all the HD releases they're making and everything. You know, there's a demand for these retro games. Fans miss them. And as a matter of fact, Rob McCallum kind of touches on that in in the interview. You know, there's a demand for these games that I, I think it's more than just nostalgia it's just the fun of the old games and i and i think the challenge of the old games but you know the the developers for those new games like that say that they draw inspiration from the retro games yeah exactly like like demon souls i think i read somewhere that they drew inspiration from ghost and goblins for that game yeah like the difficulty like they said they wanted something that you know stood out in your mind as being difficult because when they were kids the developer said that was the game that gave them the most trouble was you know, ghosts and goblins. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just think I, I think there's enough market. I think there's guys our age that would definitely buy. Like, if they've re, reissued uh, an NES or something like that, uh, just can't, same exact style. Even though I already have an NES, I'd probably buy another one. You know. Oh and, yeah, definitely. And, and especially if they if they released new NES cartridges. The, the reissue systems or the old systems, of course I'd buy them. And, you know, the homebrew games are selling like crazy. Imagine if Nintendo licensed some of these games. So, so oh, yeah. Yeah, I thought that was a really interesting um, topic. So. That was. That was a good topic. Uh, this is one that I actually started because uh, I'd been playing this, this game for a while. Uh, the, the topic on the forum is called Guilty Pleasures in Gaming. And it's just kind of, you know, I got the idea. I was playing the Blue Marlin for the NES. It's a fishing game. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> and, and I've also been playing some of the Black Bass, too, just to get, you know, back into that. But I was sitting there thinking, uh, would I tell people that I play this like a fast? <laughs> they're like, hey, have you ever played Blue Marlin? Uh, would I be like, oh, yeah, I love that game more. 
no, I don't know what you're talking about. What's that? <laughs> you know, I, I, I kind of, I kind of started it based on that, and it's got quite a, it's got quite a few good responses. I didn't, I didn't realize there were so many folks who knew what Blue Marlin was and actually enjoyed that game. I really like that game. It's, it sounds actually pretty good, though, based on how the way you described it. So I'll have to pick it up. It's yeah, expensive, it's, though. It's, it's high. It's probably about fifteen, twenty bucks. That's a lot of money. <laughs> I think I got mine back when I was living at home with my parents, and you know, you know, when money was was free, quote unquote. <laughs> <laughs> the good old days. The good old days. Yeah, but I've liked that one. I've liked some of the responses to that uh, to that post too. For me, my guilty pleasure in gaming was um, Pokemon. Pokemon Red for the for the Game Boy Color. Now I know there's there's probably a big enough fan base where people would actually be mad at me for saying, oh, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit that. But if I were to say that to certain people, I think I'd probably get pointed at and laughed at and everything. So. <laughs> Well, you don't have to worry about me laughing at you. I had blue, so. Oh, sweet! Thanks, man. <laughs> and I've still got I've still got my blue somewhere with my name like wrote on it from where I took it to school. <laughs> Just in case anyone tries to steal it. <laughs> That's right. Here I was, you know, sixth, seventh grade, enjoying the heck out of some Pokemon, while everybody else is like, really? <laughs> yeah, I remember. Um, gosh, uh, seventh, eighth grade or something like that. Um, we'd have our little link cables and stuff. We'd be trading our little Pokemon. <laughs> Oh man, and then of course we were we were ridiculed for it at lunch and everything. So, but oh, you know what? Are those kids that play Pokemon? <laughs> Apparently, they're five year olds bullying us. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. I was going to say, why don't you go back to kindergarten and take a nap? This is what big kids do. <laughs> And another topic that was started by a certain hoser that will not be mentioned uh, is that longing feeling in gaming. Boy, you're just like putting me on the spot today. It's, <laughs> it's Landon Palooza on the Retro Junkie. <laughs> I like it. Hey, we could do a month of that, Landon Palooza. Oh, I like that. That's not bad. We should do it, our own I don't, I don't know what we would do. It's just got a great name, and then the next month will be Robert Palooza. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, that longing feeling, uh, I kind of got the idea for that post. Uh, I was sitting there just the other night, you know, with the little baby rocking her to sleep and i looked over on the shelf and saw my copy of uh, rocket night adventures and i thought you know i remember when i was a kid going we had a, a video rental store we had two in town one was good one was kind of eh. mm-hmm. uh i went to the good one and uh i saw that game there and i always wanted to rent it you know i thought i thought the art was cool on the box it was like the little possum guy and his little armor with his sword held up and his little rocket pack on and <laughs> I looked at the back, and I'm like, well, this looks cool. I got it one day, and as I was getting ready to check out, I look over, you know, just take one more glance over to see if there's anything else there that I would like, and I see John Madden football, the 94 edition. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, here I am about eight years old. I'm just starting to, to get into football. Really dig the Dallas Cowboys. Still do. And uh, I put Rocket Knight back on the shelf to get Madden. Oh, and you know, Madden Madden '94 was a good game. I enjoyed it for what it was, mm-hmm. but uh, I always wanted to play Rocket Knight. And when I got around to to try to get it again, I found out that the owner of the the video store had actually sold it to someone, and he said he couldn't get another copy from his distributor. So that was it. Fast forward to oh, about twenty twenty years in the future, I was at the uh, I was at a local uh, gaming store in a, the next town over in Asheville, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had a copy of Rocket Knight, you know, with the case, the book, everything for 12 bucks. And I'm like, well, you know, for $12. It, yeah, nice. You know, I, I, could, I could take a chance on something for $12. Yeah, sure. I got home and I was blown away. Like, that game 
the graphics, the the gameplay, the music, everything. It was it just it really shocked me of how awesome it was. You know, I think me and you played it here a couple of weeks after I got it, and we're both just like, man, how did we miss out on this? Oh, I know, I know. I, I remember playing it, and just like the, I remember the music being really good. I remember the graphics and like the animations being really good for a Sega Genesis game. It really was, and it was like what ninety three, ninety four when that came out too. It was. One, I think it's one of the the better sixteen bit like action adventure games out there. I agree, and that's like another series you don't hear anything about. I think they made what one sequel. I think they did a sequel called Sparkster, and they actually did it for the Super Nintendo and the Genesis. So it came out. Oh, wow! It was a dual release, but the original was a Sega only game, a Sega Genesis only game. I missed that series. I wonder what happened to that. I don't know. I've heard they're trying to do a HD remake of it, or they may have already done so on the Xbox Live Arcade. Wow, nice. For me, I think there's a couple games, but the one that really sticks out to me is kind of a sad story. Cue the violin. <laughs> Uh, I was a huge, and you know, I mentioned this, I think, in the first episode or second episode. I was a huge Sukaden fan for uh, the the Sony PlayStation, and I loved the story so much. Uh, and I remember wanting to get the second one, uh, but it was it was too expensive. I, I didn't have enough money, and um, you know, back in those days, money was hard to come by. So uh, it's, right. they, they still are today, but really, back in those <laughs> days, I I remember getting it actually probably about three or four years ago. Uh, and I was so excited. And, of course, I gave a lot of money for it. I, I, Sukaden 2 goes for probably about $60, $70 on eBay right now in, in relatively good condition. But I probably paid about $50 for it. And I was so excited to play it. I got about an hour into the game. Some of the same characters from the original game had returned. The music was just as good. Um, it already, like, I was already... Um, uh, feeling that same nostalgia that I, or same kind of excitement that I had felt with the first game in this new game. But the only problem was that for some reason, the disc, I don't know if there's a scratch on it or so- something happened, but I-, I couldn't save. So I'd get about uh, maybe 30, 40 minutes into the game, maybe an hour into the game before you can actually finally save, which was probably a flaw oh. in the game design. But, but then it, it just freezes up. It goes to this loading screen, and it never gets out of that loading screen. I've tried cleaning the disc. I've tried everything I could possibly do. So that's a game I'm still, I guess, longing for. So Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that stinks. I, I hear that's a good one. I hear oh, that's... yeah. I hear that's a classic. Probably the best of the series. Even if it was just as good as the first one, I would say is well worth the money. But if, if any of you folks listening know how to fix Rob's problem, send him an email at theretrojunkies.com. He's Rob <laughs> at theretrojunkies.com. <laughs> That's right. And and uh, and then you can join our forums at www.theretrojunkies.com. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I guess uh, before we get into our skater die review, I think we want to go ahead and play the uh, the interview that we had with Rob McCallum earlier this week. And basically, he, the whole premise behind this documentary is. It's one man has 30 days to collect over 700 licensed NES games, pretty much the entire licensed NES library of games, and he can't use any online resources. This is all old school, you know, flea markets, uh, on the road to different stores. Rob's going to follow Jay around with a film crew uh, as he tries to collect these games. And I think there's also like a universal story to this documentary. There's a universal theme to it, so... I think it's going to be an excellent documentary, and I think it's going to be a huge hit. So here's the interview that we have with Rob McCallum. Good afternoon, everyone. Today I have the great privilege of interviewing Rob McCallum, who's a director of the upcoming NES Club documentary, where one man embarks on a 30-day road trip to collect over 700 licensed NES games. 
We've been fortunate enough to snag Rob a few minutes before he starts filming this week. So first of all, how are you, Rob? Doing great. How are you doing? Uh, I am. I am just peachy, man. I'm glad. Glad uh, you got to squeeze this in today. Absolutely. We've been back and forth a few times on trying to find <laughs> the exact date. Hook up here, but I'm glad it worked out, and uh, even a little bit earlier than we anticipated. Yeah, Landon ditched us today, so uh, so we can go what even a earlier. Slacker. I know. Time and he's ditching appointments. <laughs> Play like a champ, Landon. That, that, that's right. That's right. I got to talk to you first. Yeah. He's the kind of guy that probably loves the Game Genie, isn't he? Uh, oh, he's totally that kind of guy. He's a Game Genie guy. Oh, okay, you don't yeah, even know. <laughs> so, uh, first of all, Rob, let, let me ask you this. Where did you come up with the whole idea of the NES Club in the first place? Well, sarcastically, I just wanted a reason to hang out with my best friend Jay for the entire <laughs> summer and do nothing but play video games. <laughs> That's nice. So I was like, let's see how deceptive we can be like a Kickstarter campaign to raise money to allow us to do that. Um uh, well, what ended up happening is I completed a film in the early part of May and premiered it called Unearthly. It's a feature film, sci-fi, action-adventure, but a dad going in search of his daughter in this crazy Bermuda Triangle place full of creatures and all sort of nightmare-like things and beings. And <laughs> as you can tell, it's, an, it's a heavy VFX shoot. It's very much uh, Jurassic Park, Indiana Jones. And when that was done... I really did not want to have to start another project like that because I have two other scripts that I'd written that were in a similar effects-heavy, design-heavy vein, and I just mm -hmm. didn't have the energy to do that. So no. I, what else can I do that's a little bit more scaled down, a little bit maybe more forgiving in terms of production, but that has huge story potential, mass appeal, mm -hmm. and uh, it's something that a lot of people already have a connection with. And I thought, okay, let's let's do a documentary. And I was talking to Jay, who's the subject of the NES Club, my my best buddy, and I'd I'd done a short with him literally about 15 years ago, maybe 12 years ago, called uh, Fanboys, and it was about collectors. Uh, cool. I basically talked to people about their collection, be it action figures, video games, comic books, sports cards, and it was just you know talking about how they got into it, where they went, and stuff like that. And him and I are big collectors. He's obviously into games. I'm into like Masters of the Universe, He-Man action figures. <laughs> now I've got a bunch of the animated cells from the He-Man cartoon show. And wow, really? So yeah pretty lucky to find some of that kind of stuff but it's just like there's something about that that's really appealing so it's like he's big into games i'm like okay yeah games i think it should be something on games and then it's like okay so what do i do just talk to three collectors about games it's got to be more than that <laughs> he's like well you know you can come with us and stuff like this as we go to you know flea markets and stuff and like well that's kind of like the game chasers what <laughs> those guys do on retroware so i don't want right. to you know, completely ripped them off because you know they're they admittedly say they're like American pickers, and I, I don't want to be kind of like <laughs> not like a rip off of a rip off, but I don't want to do the two other people are already doing. I feel like it's a, a me too product. I'm doing this, you know, it's me too, me too. Uh, right. So it's like, what if we kind of brought a more of a game show element into it, and you know, kind of really stacked the odds and made it more about one thing specific instead of whatever we found. You didn't know what I meant by that, and I said, well, what if I dared you? to, you know, collect all <laughs> 709 NES retail games. Uh -huh. And then there was, like, kind of complete silence. <laughs> he goes, well, what do you mean? I'm like, I'll say I give you 30 days, I'll follow you around with a camera, crew, make it professional, and we'll go place to place, city to city, store to store, as you try to collect from scratch, using your own money, every retail release game. So we clarified right away, okay, so no Nintendo World Champion, no College Campus cart, no <laughs> kind of test stuff, and no Tengen Black carts, because they're not official <laughs> releases, no Dinosaur Peak, uh, Flintstones Dinosaur Peak, because it was a Blockbuster exclusive. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so that and that caught the the 709 games that that we're trying to get, and all of a sudden started thinking about it. We were back and forth on, on what we were going to do with it for a week because it was just kind of hanging in the ether. Mm-hmm. Before we said, okay, finally, let's do this. And then it's like, <laughs> okay, so is it really just about the journey? Are we going to see like 30 days squeezed into 90 minutes? And then I was really pushing to to make it something more, something more important. Why more people would want to watch? Right. I mean, the thrill of the hunt's great and stuff, but unless you're really a gamer probably not going to be too interested unless you see why this is worth X dollars and blah 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 right. and I didn't want it to be about the money I wanted it to be more about something culturally important and uh, so I just went back to square one why Why did I suggest you know NES games well that's the one system we all got on board with right, right. they were the, the ones that revitalized the industry and were around before any kind of competition kind of regained kind of traction it was Nintendo yeah. then it was Nintendo and Sega Right now it's you know Sony, Microsoft, Nintendo, and blah blah blah. But back then, for a short period of time, it was just the NES, and there were so many of us that were just infatuated with that era, and we could just get behind one thing, not brand <laughs> loyalty. And but you know the questions that I started having as a filmmaker was why is that important? Why is that era important? Is it just nostalgia? And then mm-hmm. I started digging deeper, and I met a bunch of gamers that are only like you know 15, 16, 18 years old that weren't around during the NES era, mm-hmm. and they're in love with those games. So it can't be nostalgia. Exactly. Yeah. So what is it? And it, these gamers aren't just playing them on the emulators, and they're not playing on them on the virtual consoles. They're getting out there, wanting to play the the actual piece of history, the cart. They want to put it in the system. Push the power button, watch it fail, take the game out, <laughs> blow in the game, put it back in, and then have it work. You know, <laughs> so that's kind of how it came about. It's like th- this is too good to, to pass up. Let's focus the, the market on on gaming and Nintendo, and and just kind of branch it up from there. And everything just kind of slowly, you know, every piece fit into the puzzle. While you know, we have the personal story of Jay, we have the big story of gaming history, and then we have the kind of uh, you know historical quasi cultural impact. Uh, to tie it all together of, of Nintendo, the games, and what it says about us today, reaching back for that, and what it says about us then, and how it projected forward. Right. Well, that kind of uh, that makes me think of the King of Kong because my wife, my wife's a perfect example. You know, you were talking about you didn't want to just appeal to collectors alone. Well, my wife's not a gamer at all, and she got attached to that storyline in the King of Kong. You know, she she was completely rooting for uh, Steve Weeby and everything. It was more of a universal theme. So is that kind of the direction you were aiming for? Yeah. Some of the things that the, those guys did really well, obviously a huge fan of that movie too, is right. they, really paint out, they really paint Steve Weeby as the guy who's got to prove something and he's never had a big success in his life mm-hmm. you know you see his brother say you know he couldn't pitch in the big game mm-hmm. he never made it as a mu- uh, as a musician and here he goes and it's like just when you think that he's got something to his name he's beat the donkey kong world record then you have all these people that are trying to take that away from him right so it's like okay instant sympathy then <laughs> you have him trying to go do it in live and he's you know kind of upstaged again right then they introduced the guinness book of world record thing where you can get in the in the record books in print kind of forever uh and then he's not even able to do it until you know the denouement at the end of the documentary which is well beyond the guinness publishing date but still right it goes back and forth so they just keep giving you reasons to root for the guy (laughs) and that's and to be honest we've had that discussion jay and i have talked about it's like so why are people going to be interested in you as a character so to speak and uh, he, you know, he's he's all about kind of. He thinks the journey will be interesting enough doing it old school. You know, for me as a filmmaker, stepping outside the fact that we're you know friends and really good friends at that. Right. You know, I really think it's almost like the Big Brother mentality 
or uh, sorry, the biggest loser mentality where these guys lose a bunch of weight, right? Over six weeks and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Week to week, they're losing pounds and pounds. But that's because they're focusing on something that everybody else would say is impossible. So you take a guy like Jay, 30 days of his life, for, to conquer this big, big goal of 709 games. Everybody's saying, oh, man, that's going to be impossible. I'd love to go on it with you, but, oh, it's going to be so hard to do it. Right. You know, man, if you set your mind to it, anything is possible. It's, it's all feasible if you focus and go out there. And, you know, as long as I've known Jay and as much as he's my friend, I haven't really seen him kind of go above and beyond that which is convenient, that which is, you know, available. He's an average guy, mm-hmm. nine to five job, average car, average house, really kind of, you know, good living and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But I've never really seen him reach for the stars. Right. This is his chance to reach for the stars. And if he can do this, who knows what it might inspire other people to do. Fantastic way to explain it. That, that sounds very interesting for, you know, non-gamers too. So that, that's really neat. Yeah, so that's probably kind of some of the like the Steve Weeby syndrome right. that we're going to try to pound into this. And and again, that's more my take on it. He might completely disagree and say, ah, oh, you know, whatever. I'm just a game collector. Leave me alone. Right, but. right. Well, so I, I take it it didn't take a whole lot of convincing to get Jay on board. Well, like I said, it hovered for like probably a week back and forth from okay, I want to do a documentary. It's going to be on collecting. It's going to be on video games. What if you know you were to do this? And then it was kind of back and forth and. There was trepidation. There was, you know, resistance. There was, you know, okay, how is this exactly going to work? And, mm-hmm. you know, so you're raising this money for Kickstarter so you can, you know, f- you know, film it, hire people to, you know, bring their gear and, you know, slug it out for X number of days. And mm-hmm. that means I've got to raise enough money to be able to do this. And then he started doing the math. And it was back and forth before, mm-hmm. like, the idea was like, yeah, sure, if I had, you know, you know Scrooge McDuck's money bin. <laughs> And I get this constantly withdrawal. Yeah, who wouldn't want to, you know, go on the road for X number of days and do that? But, you know, he's really had to put his life on hold since, like, early May mm-hmm. to save money, not go above and beyond, like, bills and stuff. Right. He's sacrificing his entire summer, his vacation from work, all the days that he saved up mm-hmm. in order to go do this just so he could do this. So it's a really big kind of sacrifice for him. It's his choice, ultimately. Right. But, you know, he's he can't take, you know, the week-long vacation to go somewhere else. He... You know, has resisted all the urges that game collectors get all the time to go out there and see what's up, and mm-hmm. it's it's been it's been quite a sacrifice for him. So, and I know he's still stressed about having enough money, but he's doing everything he can. So it sounds like it's more you know the the responsibilities that you know made him hesitate, but he was never really afraid to be in in the spotlight or anything like that. No, I, I don't think the camera stuff uh, that bothered him. He's, he he still thinks it's going to be in a bit of an adjustment period to have like you know two cameras in his face all the time and and that <laughs> right. kind of stuff but but thankfully it'll be kind of like a, like a two-man show i'll be all kind of on camera with him asking him the questions guiding him through it so the more conversational i can keep it the less he'll be aware that we're all just kind of watching him so it'll be kind of like us kind of tackling the road and we, we've got a third associate mike frusios who's acting as our secretary or treasurer if you will who's also the producer on the film to help kind of keep jay uh, in line you know you know help him out be a sounding board for advice and Right. Kind of go forward in that respect. So are you a big video game collector yourself? I wouldn't say I'm a big video game collector. I'm a big mm. fan of video games. Um, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I, I don't really go out and, and hunt for the games, so mm-hmm. to speak. Um, as I was prepping for the stock, I had to actually go through boxes and dig out games that I had packed away, like Xbox games and uh, you know a couple uh, G- GameCube games and stuff. And I was astonished to learn how much some of those cost and right. all that kind of stuff. But uh, you know, I still have my NES stuff. It's actually all up in Canada. My Genesis stuff, four stuff. So I mean, I have like I've had something from every generation. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and I've got the the PS4 on order for the for next gen and stuff like that. Wait, can't wait to get a Wii U. Really excited for that. So <laughs> hoping they do a price drop just so I can grab a couple more games when that happens. But uh, yeah, same here. I'm I'm hoping I can afford one eventually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, so what is your favorite NES game? It's it's gotta it's gotta go back to Ducktales. You heard me make the Scrooge McDuck. I did. I noticed that. <laughs> uh, big fan of the Disney Capcom licenses. I mean, a lot of them have the the Mega Man mechanics on, on display, obviously. Mm-hmm. But Ducktales, I mean, a huge fan of the show. Still like it to this day. Nice. And even trying to find the movie Treasure of the Lost Lamp is really hard <laughs> to find. For a while, it was available through like Disney's exclusive movie club or whatever. But now it's like impossible to find, especially on DVD. You might be able to score a VHS of it. Big fan of that because it's almost like an alternate kind of Batman universe and how that bleeds into Darkwing Duck a little bit, especially a little bit more on the forefront. So it's like kind of Indiana Jones, Batman-ish. I really like, I don't know, I just like the villains and all that stuff. And I thought the game did really well. I never played DuckTales 2, so I'm excited to you know, have Jay score that and play that. And I'm really excited because this is another great thing about the documentary that we're going to explore. <laughs> They're re-releasing DuckTales in HD. HD, remaster. that's right. <laughs> Why are game companies not putting out new games and recognizing that there is such a retro resurgence that uh-huh. they're going back to the vault to some of these time-honored classics and putting them out in HD. I mean, redrawn hand sprites. It, the, exactly. They're, they're making a big deal of this. And, you know, if you check the net, man, everybody is so excited for this game to revisit it, uh, be it on disc for PS3 or, you know, through digital download, uh, you know, the Wii Store, mm-hmm. Xbox Live, or PlayStation Store. It's, it's a big deal, and I think it says something about the kind of the state of the industry right now when people are more excited about a $15 re-release from like you know 25 years ago right right then you know the next Call of Duty game that's coming out right that comes out you know every day or the same day in the year <laughs> exactly exactly what we're getting like it, it's it's a big signal and you know I don't I don't want to try to orchestrate you know some drama and stuff but I, yeah, Marshall <laughs> McLuhan uh, a theorist on media said you know the games we play say a lot about our society Right. You know, it's just like, you know, if you were to collect glass dolls or thimbles or spoons, they're going to say a lot about who you are. The games that you like say a lot about who you are. (laughs) If you like playing Monopoly or or Risk, that says something about you. So the games that we play as a society, as a collective whole, says something about our collective society and the ideology that we're in. So why are we racing back to the past? Right. I don't think it's nostalgia. I think there's something wrong with the era that we're living in now and that we want to recreate what we had before and not just revisit. There's a big difference there. Yeah, good good point. I've never really thought of it that way, but I think you're right. Yeah, there just seems to be something, you know, the, the graphics get more and uh, more beautiful and, and uh, you know, the, the add-ons, there's add-ons for every single game now, they keep adding on to them, but there's still that desire to play these old, simple games. And like you said, those 18, 19-year-olds that have, you know, never grown up with an NES, they want to play those games. Well, I got to stop you on something you just said. Yeah. These old simple games. <laughs> simple? Now, I don't know if you saw the article that, that came out uh, earlier this week uh, from uh, Nintendo's president himself right. that said 90% of people cannot beat Super Mario Brothers level 1. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm trying to say with that is games right. are easier today. I think they're frustratingly hard, especially the NES titles, man. It's embarrassing. Oh, I know how humbled I am when I finally get the games to work and I start playing, how quickly I die once I think I understand the mechanic. I'm the same way. You know, it's like they're easy to pick up, but they're hard to master. Exactly. So, I mean, again, games today are easy. 
that they're selling? Maybe because they're too easy. Maybe people need that challenge. I also think that there's like maybe too many selections of games that people are just picking up for the sake of picking them up. I'm not saying people are flush with money, but you know, when you have access to like even an emulator, we can just talk about emulators. You have like 700 games, a click of the mouse away, or you have a bunch on on Wii console or whatever that you've downloaded. It really devalues the game, and if something's hard, it's that much easier to abandon it and right. jump on to something else. You right. know, back in the day, man, you and I only had like three or four games. We <laughs> had to play Battletoads all the way through. We had to, you know, trudge uh-huh. through Ghosts and Goblins, hoping <laughs> that we get the knife at some point so we can beat the game. Oh, and God help us if we, you know, try to climb up the stairs in Ghostbusters and those ghosts attack us. With the, like, oh, that's ghosts. the worst. <laughs> I know. And then this is where your buddy Landon comes in and says, yeah, but if you had the game gene. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah. So, um, so I- I've noticed you mentioned the Sega a few times. So, were you a kid during the uh, 16-bit console wars? Yeah, I, I was. I, I was actually a Genesis guy and never had a Super Nintendo. Wow, nice, oh. nice. So, you, so you're already on my good side. Oh, okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There you go. I, I hear there's this great podcast called Genesis Gems out there. Oh, too. you know what? I hear they're really cool guys there. You ought to join them one time. Well, I don't know if they're cool, but I think they're pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sweet, sweet. I was a Genesis guy. Got a Genesis too. Uh, Still like the idea of having a Sega CD and a 32X, but the more I think about it, practically, it's probably not going to happen. <laughs> the Saturn console is, is the one console that I would love to have, just to have Daytona USA, which is probably my favorite arcade racer, oh, even though game. I can download it on you know Sony and stuff like that. But there's something really cool that I love about the Sega Saturn. I don't know if it's just because it's so sleek and black and slightly matted, but it, <laughs> I remember it feeling so futuristic because I think it was like, other than like playing 3DO or, or like the CDI, mm-hmm. it actually felt like a legitimate kind of CD based console. Yep. You know? It certainly um, did. Well, yeah, Dreamcast was huge too. Oh, yeah. But, um, uh, I was going to ask you, going back to the emulator thing, well, why do you think that is, you know, where it's, it's at our fingertips, the, all these games, but yet there's still that strong desire to just go out there and collect them? I, th- I think it's a couple things. One, I think that emulators are only emulating it, and I think there are some people that recognize that they don't play like the originals do. I think the emulator controllers are a little bit skewed, especially when you get them brand new and the mm-hmm. the D-pads are a little whack. A and B buttons aren't quite creased in, so to speak, from hours of gaming. Mm-hmm. A little frustrating playing the response time. And it... And then your system specs kind of come into it. Like if you're playing on a PC or a Mac and, you know, you got like, you know, tons of RAM and your GPU is huge. I think emulators don't, you know, they try to compensate for it on the fly and it doesn't always quite do it. So there's a bit of a lag sometimes. That's true. I, I, I honestly think it goes back to, you know, owning a piece of history, having, recreating that experience where, you know, you, you grab the game out of your pile, you hear the clanking of the <laughs> the plastic together, and you slip it into the toaster or your top loader if you're cool enough, and, <laughs> you, you know, you power it on, and you just have that experience with that one tangible object, right? and it's just kind of you and your buddy and that game, and it's just like, okay, you pull it out, and you, you put the next one in, so it actually kind of takes effort to even put that on there, and so when you, there's an effort <laughs> that you put into something, you get more out of it. Oh, absolutely. So it's like, you know, I was telling some of these other people that, you know, have interviewed us and stuff like that, you know, what's he going to do with this collection once he's done? Is he going to sell it all? Well, you know, what's he, first of all, he's a collector, so he's not going to sell it. Right. <laughs> um, he, he might he might get rid of some of the doubles. I don't know. I will have to see what he says on camera. Mm-hmm. But the, the big thing is he's going to have a story for every single game that he finds. Ah, very true. He's going to look on his bookshelf, and it's not going to be that one game there or that game there isn't going to represent clicks of a mouse on an auction that he won at the last minute. 
Mm-hmm. It's going to represent, you know, a 30-day trek where he saved for like three months going in. It's all captured on film. He's mm-hmm. going to remember the people that he met, the hands he shook, what they had to say about the games. He's going to he's going to remember when he played that for the first time. He's creating his own history, you know, his story, history. Absolutely, right. You know, and you can't manufacture that. And downloading stuff, not to get on the whole, is downloading cool or emulators cool, legal, not illegal. Mm -hmm. But there's no sense of ownership or or connection or history. This is the world we live in. It's, It's simulacrum. It's all artificial, like you're saying with all these games that are you know, so pretty, and, and the tech specs are great. Beauty's right. only skin deep. Right. <laughs> you know, one, once you pierce that veil and it wears off on you, what's left? Right. That's why I've always said, man, game controls and mechanics are far more important than graphics because you can adapt to how something looks. Right, absolutely. But once you start playing it and invest yourself in it, and you want to, you know, honor that investment, it's got to it's gotta be a, a great experience. Uh, as a matter of fact, we just launched our, um, our website uh, over the weekend, and one of the first topics was... You know, why, why are games special? You know, what's the whole point of of collecting games? You know, and and we were talking about every game has a story. You know, they're almost it's almost like a photo album. You go through these games you're like, oh, I remember when I got that one. I remember when I got that one. I remember exactly what I was doing when I got that one. So I do think you know the nostalgia is a huge part of it, uh, and that's probably the biggest reason why I play these retro games. You know, they just remind me of. When I was a kid with my buddies, like you said, uh, trying to beat those uh, those god awful games. <laughs> so, mm, but yeah. but yeah, but I, I think you're also onto something with uh, the tech specs. You know, beauty's only skin deep. So 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 have you received lots of uh, support from like the retro community or uh, you know any criticisms, setbacks or? Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll start with the bad and, and go get to the good. Oh yeah. <laughs> When we first launched this, we were like under fire for the first week or so, and every time we tried to move into a different niche of the of the retro community online, it was just the same kind of questions that we had to defeat. I think uh, I alluded to it sarcastically earlier. People accused us of you know wanting to raise money to buy video games, oh. um, <laughs> that kind of stuff. And then when they found out that Jay was a collector because they had actually watched the video, um, <laughs> they thought that okay, he's got like a hundred games now, he's going to go plant them. You know, so they'll find those in stores. Wink, wink, and oh. they'll be big heroes by the end of it. You know, I, I keep saying, and, I, and I'll continue to say, I hope Jay misses by like 200 games <laughs> versus get them all kind of nice and neatly, you know, collected by the end of it. I think that would be much more interesting right. to see him come that far short and right. what it does to him psycho- psychologically after the buildup that this campaign has had. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we had a lot of trouble finding people that had complete sets. We, we weren't sure if we were going to be the first one to have complete sets, admittedly. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe our research was a little lacking there. Uh, we knew that we wanted to have the first documented set as it came together, and mm-hmm. maybe we're still going to have that since it's like, you know, day one, no games, day 30, 700. Right. But... <laughs> Reaching out to some of these collectors, I was getting weird messages like, don't approach any of them, they don't want to talk to you, they don't want to be involved, they don't care about your movies, stay wow. away from them, you've been warned. Holy Little cow, threats? Like yeah, <laughs> it's like, what are these like, you know, weird shadow conspiracies that, that's happening here? And then, you know, it was like slowly and surely just responding to it all really kind of nice and, right. you know, not like starting the you know a fire by any means because right. we're still trying to you know see what people think and tailor to what's going on that's like mm-hmm. okay cool people have collections who out there wants to be part of it? finally people started talking to us and right. we got some people on board and then the real cool people started to, to give us a lot of support probably by the second week of the campaign 
um, a lot of the the podcast guys like yourself. Um, there's probably been about six or seven different groups of podcasters that have really got on board with us. That awesome. really like what we're doing. And then once that happened, it was like, okay, now we're getting like some of these, you know, professional gamers uh, who compete against one another. That they're coming on board. They're spreading the word. Then we're getting some media guys like you know Patrick Scott Patterson who's spreading the word. Who He's just kind of you know infiltrated in the industry from one side to the other. Mm-hmm. Then Tommy Tellerico comes on board. Then Hyperkin comes on board, who makes the Retron. Oh consoles. wow, yeah, yeah. They're on board. They're dying to interview us. They're like, okay, cool. So we're on board. When can we interview? You know, when can we do this? I'm like, uh, how's September sound? They're like, really? <laughs> like, sorry, man. I gotta go to Comic Con. Then I gotta go shoot this for 30 days, and then I'll come back to you. But I said it'll probably work out because I'll know what content I still need. Blah blah blah. Right. Hyperkin comes on board, and then we get a message that Nintendo's on board. Wow, wow. You know? So, so, so let me ask you this. So the, so the Retro Junkies got on before Hyperkin did? Uh, just for you, yes. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> you guys recognized what was happening. I, we recognized True Greatness before it blossomed. There you go. I'll give it to you. <laughs> well, that, that is really neat. That, that is cool. And I am so surprised that you've gotten that kind of criticism, too. That just, that just blows my mind that... It's Sir- the internet, man. Uh, it yeah. doesn't surprise me. What, I mean, at first it was like gut shot reactions. Like, oh my God, they didn't even read anything on Kickstarter. They right. Thought, <laughs> made, made some assumptions and it's like, oh my God, I'm going to fail. This is going to be this horrible <laughs> idea. The lizard brain kicks in and I'm yeah. just, you know, just regretting everything. But then everybody slowly started to come. And what really brought us by surprise, you want to talk about the retro community showing us support. Yeah. Had like over three quarters of the people that pledged the campaign, we don't even know. Right. You know? right. So like 75% of the people that want to see this film made don't even know us. They, Most of them reached out to us after they pledged saying, oh, this is awesome. Mm-hmm. There's uh, one guy uh, who owns a store in Columbus. Got to give a shout out to him. He gave us our, our first really big kind of donation. Uh, his name is Darren Griffin. He owns a store called The Warp Zone in Columbus, Ohio. Nice. It looks like an amazing place. They just had a Sega Master System Appreciation Day. Oh, and nice. Their customers bring in like all his collection. They have a little couch area and TV set up for like people to play and stuff like that. Really excited to to go see his store and stuff like that. Oh, There's another cool. store called VGX in uh, Dubois, PA. They're like sending up flyers talking about our arrival. Nice. There you go. So we're going to wheel up in our van, and apparently there's going to be this, like, crowd outside. Uh-huh, it's going to be like a parade. <laughs> it's going to be like something. I don't know what to expect. Both Jay and I are just kind of beside ourselves, not sure what to make of this, but they got two uh, guys that are associated with Twin Galaxies there. Oh, um, wow. Who are Guinness record holders that are based there, and we're going to specifically to kind of talk to them, because they reached out to me, again, via the campaign, say, mm-hmm. look, man, we love what you're doing, you know, I'm a you know Twin Galaxy guy, here's my card. Blah wow. blah blah, and you know we got this really great store here in Dubois. It's not a big city, but you know we'll make it worthwhile if you come. So it's like, you know what? Two Guinness World Record scores, a store that wants us to come there, a family-owned shop. Yeah, I'm going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, it's just done. It's a done deal. <laughs> so well, that's that's so cool. And let me ask you this: Are are you prepared? Because you know, what if it turns into okay? You know, you make it to the first couple of stores, and then you know, obviously the word spreads and everything. And the next location, you might have hundreds of people waiting for you. <laughs> well, that's what I'd call a good problem to have. <laughs> exactly. There's, there's, not, there's nothing bad that can come from support and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I'd rather have more support than. Mm-hmm. Like invisibility, right? Because with invisibility, people are you know questioning whether you're, you know what you're doing is legit. I'm sure there's going to be stores that don't want us to film inside, and right, sure, which is fine because we can't you know realistically show every single pickup that happens on the time because it's a 90 minute dock, and this right. stuff is really only going to take up you know x number of minutes of that, and mm-hmm. so 
you know, it is what it is. The support is always great. We look forward to everybody that wants to come out on Facebook. I release, you know, the places that we're going and relatively when mm -hmm. uh, yesterday. So I announced like all the cities and uh, all the days. So hopefully the, you know, the, the bandwagon will start, so to speak. Uh, well, honestly, I think there's going to be a, you know, I think you're going to have a lot of support. Uh, you know, when I first saw the Kickstarter uh, campaign, I was like, Whoa! I mean, I was completely. I was like, I was giddy like a little kid, you know. So, uh, because the NES was my first console, you know. You mentioned how you know a lot of us that was our first console. It was mine, uh -huh. and it just I, it resonated with me right away. So, uh, let me ask you that: What resonated with you right away? Because a lot of people are saying, you know, this is such a great idea, and blah blah blah. And as filmmakers, you know, we're never sure, and you know, <laughs> until the film's done, you don't know how it's going to be received. But, you know what? You know what did what did you like? If I can interview you? For oh, uh, please, <laughs> by all means. Uh, <laughs> um, I I don't know. I just thought I don't know. It's it, you kind of you see something. And it's like wow. I wish I had thought of that first. That is an amazing idea. You know, just just going out there, bringing a film crew with you. You know, stacking the odds against you. I, I guess I love the story just as much as I love the fact that you're collecting video games. So, I I don't know. And and you know, I was a sucker for the King of Kong. I was a sucker for. Um, uh, gosh, the other one, Chasing Ghosts. Have you seen that yeah. one? Yeah, I have. Yeah, I, I just love those kinds of documentaries. Uh, I love the underdog story as a whole. Um, and I think that's why I was just like, wow, these guys are awesome. i got to get on board with this. So here's a question for you then, a follow-up question based oh. on your expectations. Excellent. See, I, I've got a list here too. <laughs> I, I know how to make notes. <laughs> nice. Uh, how do you see like the, the structure of the doc? I mean, I literally a couple days ago finished kind of loosely structuring what I thought would kind of kind of happened as far as Jay's journey and plus some of the other interviews and stuff that we're going to do and plus you know a few other things that I want to put in there how do you see you know the 90 minutes kind of breaking down do you do you like how do you see the film opening how do you do you picture us going into store after store after store after store I mean I don't know I know what I think it's going to look like right, but right. I don't know what other people you know envision this film to be and now is a good time to ask people what oh. they think it might be well good well that's a good question well uh, I, I think what I picture in my head, and of course, you know, what I see is probably very different from what you see, but uh, I, I see at the beginning of the film, you know, just, just this regular guy trying to accomplish this amazing uh, challenge, and by the end of the film, even if he doesn't finish, like you said, you identify with him, you relate to him. And you're really rooting for him by the by the end of the film. Well, I mean, hopefully you're rooting for him at the very beginning. But you know, yeah, by by the end of the film, something's changed. And so, it, to me, it's not all about the games. And you know, I think that's the way I see the film. Cool. That's very interesting. Yeah. I will. I will say that we both have different openings. That's all right. <laughs> Jay. Jay is. Well, I mean, here's the thing. And everybody's asking. So, how are you going to tackle all this material? And it's like, okay, so I've got. There's like five or six things that I've got to kind of tackle early on and kind of set the stage for, okay? Right. So I got, this is a documentary on video games. This is a documentary on retro video games. This is a documentary on collecting. Mm -hmm. This is a documentary on Nintendo. Mm -hmm. This is a documentary on Jay trying to kind of put those things together. So to kind of put all those pieces in play in the most economical way was a bit of a challenge. I did like probably like, I don't know, six or seven different drafts on the opening with voiceover and everything, just mm -hmm. trying to get it to work and... I finally came down to one where it's just starting kind of, it's going to open with sound bites about people talking about Nintendo. So right away we know it's about ah. game Nintendo and their memories, so we're going to be talking about the NES. And right. then then we kind of cut to Comic-Con footage, I think. And then about how retro gaming is big, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Voiceover says, one guy that I know that loves retro gaming and collecting is Jay. 
and then it kind of goes from there. Nice, nice. Well, yours is way better than mine. <laughs> no, I mean, I, 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 to be honest, dude, the first two drafts, maybe the first three drafts, we're starting off right on Jay. Right. Who is the main character? What is he like? What do we like? Mm-hmm. Some of the drafts started off with him like at the lowest moment when he's like, you know, one day left and ten games missing or something like that. You know, trying to capture his angst, his you know frustration. Mm-hmm. You know, right. so uh, you're you're kind of bang on. There's a bunch of different ways to approach. You can either approach it big, like video games. This is what it is, and funnel it down to the character, mm-hmm. or you can start it off on the character, then flip it to something big. Right. Right. So what? I mean, who knows what happens once we <laughs> film though? It all yeah, if you steal my idea, though. <laughs> yeah, you want, you want to write the credit. I That's right. You. That is exactly right. <laughs> so so let me ask you this. Will there ever be a Sega Genesis Club? You know, a lot of people have asked that. Are you going to do an SNES Club? Are you going to do a Genesis Club? And for all the reasons I kind of said earlier, why right. Nintendo, why it works, yeah, it, probably not. I said if I'd ever do another video game documentary, it would probably be like the history of Sega. Just how, on how its relationship with the industry has been kind of up and down constantly. Um, I think there's a, a really good story to tell there. Now, what the personal angle is, I'm not too sure yet. But you know, just kind of looking at the history of Sega, I think would be really interesting. Or possibly taking like a franchise, something mm-hmm. like a Castlevania, which is spanned across multiple platforms. Ah, uh, very true. So many incarnations, and why that storyline, you know, is enough to spawn what 24, 25 titles. Right. Yeah. And then, or like something like Street Fighter, why that has endured so much, and they just announced Street Fighter Four Ultra yesterday or whatever. <laughs> Ultra Turbo so, Champ- Champion Edition X. Arcade Edition. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, so, oh, that that's fantastic, and I'm sold on uh, all those ideas, man. So. Oh, cool. Well, I, let's get Kickstarter happening. Okay, you let's go. do it. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so where can fans stay up to date on uh, all the things uh, NES Club? Well, of, of course, we do have our kind of very basic website, which is uh, nesclubmovie.com, which is just a one-page kind of information on the film, but it links to our Facebook page. And now that's that's the site you really want to follow. If you're friends with me or, or you just want to like the movies, you know, on Facebook, uh, search the NES Club. You'll see the page. When we're out on the road, we'll be taking pictures of our... You know, shenanigans and hijinks and, of course, Jay's different finds. We're not going to show everything that he finds because we don't want to give away the ending, so to speak. Right. But uh, a lot of information will be probably on there. We'll probably post little video snippets and, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, pictures and stuff like that. Oh, excellent. That's probably the way. And we're pretty open to, you know, messages and stuff. We're, you know, guys that carry iPhones and stuff and a lot of time to kill on the road between cities. So, you know, hit us up with questions and probably get a response oh, excellent well Rob well thank you so much for giving us the opportunity I really no problem oh I, it's fantastic uh, Landon and I Landon doesn't care about this <laughs> motives I, I get it it's okay right right he's probably at his house right now playing that game genie exactly <laughs> putting a genie inside a genie he La- just needs full code <laughs> that's true uh, you know, but seriously, as a kid whose first gaming console was the NES, uh, I'm, I'm extremely excited to see this documentary. This is seriously one of the coolest film ideas I'd ever heard of. If you ever need anything, let us know. And, and also, you know, seriously, if, if you want to come back on the show during or after the filming to follow up on, on everything that's happened, we would love to have you on any time, man. Sure. All you got to do is reach out and uh, assuming our schedules, you know, line up, then mm-hmm. consider it a done deal. Don't even worry about, you know a yes or no answer. It's just a matter of when. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Rob. I appreciate it. No problem, Rob. I really appreciate it. All right. So, uh, it was a really good interview. I, I, one, I I just want to thank Rob for, 
giving us the time because I know he was about to film, I think, a day or two after that. So um, That was cool of him. Thanks, Robin. Again, sorry I couldn't make it. One thing I really like is that the whole underdog story of it. You know, it, it kind of reminds me of um, The King of Kong in that way. You know, you, you're, you're really pulling for Steve Weeby, and, and uh, I think you're really going to be pulling for Jay uh, trying to collect all these. And, and like Rob said, I think it's just as effective if he doesn't get them all, you know? Yeah, it's kind of like the, the tragic hero, like Rocky One. You know, you, you want him to beat Apollo Creed, but at the same time, you're like, he made it the full the full fight. You know, that's something nobody had ever done against Apollo. He went the distance. That's right. <laughs> yeah, and what blows my mind is that people actually criticize what, what Rob's doing. And I'm like, why? Well, really? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're saying stuff like, oh, uh, well, you're just using this money for games. And then Rob's like, no, actually, if you just watch the Kickstarter video, I explain that it's just for the production of the film. And he, he even had uh, collectors send him uh, these weird messages saying stuff like, oh, yeah, I have the entire NES library, but don't don't ever come into my house, you know, things like that. Yeah, there, there's no need to be a jerk about it. I I, mean. That's that's what I'm saying. I mean, this, I think... this, this guy's broadcasting retro to the mainstream, and I, and I think that's awesome. I, I don't know I why people say, have a problem with that. He's doing a lot for, for retro gaming by doing this. That's that's what I think, you know. So, you think he'll get all the games? I think he'll come very close. Mm-hmm. Part of me wants him to get them all, but like you said, part of me doesn't want him to get it all either. I think either way, I, we're going to be attached to the main character anyway. So, if even if he doesn't get them all, regardless, the main character will have changed by the end of the film. So, I, I think the message is, like you said, that that he went the distance. He tried his best. That's all you could ask for. The, the the collection part of it, too, is, is what really gets me. Because, you know, when I was a kid, that was what my goal, quote-unquote, was to do, was to try to get every Nintendo game ever made. And Nice. It can be fun, but at the same time, after you do that, it's kind of like, well, the hunt's over. What, what do I do now? Right, good point, good if point. If you succeed, I mean, you're just kind of like, well, what do I do now? I mean, this big part of my life is, is over and done with, and I don't know what to do now. Right. That's why I think, uh, you know, Rob, he, he said, you know, this is more than about collecting. You know, this is this is about going the distance. It's, it's all about the journey, and it's all about, you know, stacking the odds against you. So I, I think just that is kind of the whole theme of the film. So I, I think it's a lot more than just collecting. So I'm, I'm very excited to see how this turns out. I'm wanting to see it. I was going to say, this has got me really fired up. Even, you know, I, like I said, I saw the video they had put out. You know, my wife said, hey, check this out. I think you'd like this, you know. And I watched it, and I'm like, I wish them well. I hope and yeah. pray that they can get all of them. I said, that would be one of the coolest things ever. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, Rob, we really appreciate it, man, and we wish you the best of luck. And hopefully we can get maybe um, another interview with them, maybe during or after, to see how everything yeah, went. Yeah, kind of like a, like a post-movie, just to see, you know, their experiences and yeah. things that happened behind the scenes that we didn't get to see in the movie. Plus, you know, I mean, that that is if he wants to actually hang with us. Yeah, you know, <laughs> we're, 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 we're assuming a lot that he, you know, wants to hang out with us and stuff. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> okay, guys, well, now it's time for... Skate or die. Die, 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 die. <laughs> That was beautiful, man. <laughs> and, you know, I was trying to do it in that kind of monotone voice that the, the guy does it in in the second one. I heard that title screen for the first time. I just picked up Skater Die 2 the other day, and that is hilarious. <laughs> I, every time I hear that, I think of a guy just, like, smacking somebody across the face with a skateboard and just, like, repeatedly hitting him with it. <laughs> die, 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 die! <laughs> 
So, okay, so Skate or Die is, uh, it's definitely got a cult following these days, and we're really excited to uh, review it today, or at least discuss it. So, before we get into, you know, our memories, uh, the gameplay and everything, I just want to give a quick quick uh, overview of the history and development of the game. So, Skate or Die was developed by Electronic Arts in 1987 for the Commodore 64. It was later ported to the NES by Ultra Games in 1988, along with the Apple II GS, the DOS, uh, and Atari ST. Skater Die was then ported to the ZX Spectrum in 1989. So, Skater Die was also featured in issue 4 of Nintendo Power, which was the same issue that featured The Adventures of Link in January of 1989. Needless to say, Skater Die was a popular game in the late 80s, and it received decent reviews from all of its ports. Zap Magazine gave it a 92 out of 100. Ace Magazine gave it a 878 out of 1,000. That's not bad. Wow. <laughs> Man, that's, that's a pretty good scale. It's like, oh yeah, I made 800. Powerplay uh, gave it a 7 out of 10. Mean Machines gave it a uh, 78 out of 100. Player One gave it a 78 out of 100. Total Magazine gave it a... Uh, wow, Total Magazine gave it a 52 out of 100. They, they did not care for the game, so... Man, what's, what's wrong with those folks? I, I know, I know. Total Magazine, I'm disappointed in you. Yeah, I'm totally disappointed. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> Fans were particularly fond of the music in this game, and many argue that the Commodore 64's rendition of the hard rock music, maximizing the SID chip's capabilities with sample guitars, was, uh, was superior to all the other ports. The music was composed by none other than Rob Hubbard. Just to name a few of the games that he's composed that, that I'm personally familiar with, uh, Road Rash 1 and 2, Lakers vs. Celtics, Populous, Ski or Die, NHL Hockey, 90, NHL 94, NHL 95, Bulls vs. Blazers, PGA Tour Golf, and dozens more game soundtracks. The game has all the right ingredients to match the ever-growing popularity of skateboarding during the late 80s, and it seems like the game still has a cult following today, so... So, Lynn, let me ask you, what, what was your first memory playing this one? Um, my first memory, I was probably about four or five, you know, I'd getting ready to go into school, and it was, it was summer, my mom and I were out, and she's like, do you want to go uh, rent a game, you know? You've been good. I, that was what I did when I was I was a good boy and like clean my room and stuff. I'd go rent a game to celebrate. Uh, no way, you, you were mean as a kid. No way, I wasn't mean. Take off. No, you were. I Wrong. saw you were a bully. I wasn't a bully. It's hard to be a bully when you're an only child. But uh, anyway, you know, I went and I saw this game uh, with this kid skateboarding on it. You know, he was kind of on a half pot, and I'm like, "Ooh, I'll play that." So I take it home and play it. And I was like blown away. I love. I really love that game. I think I rented it like five or six more times after that. Nice. Until the until the video store sold it. But that was my earliest memory. Is it was like one of the first like sports games that I rented and actually like really got into. Yeah, for me, I, I think I, I think it was around ninety one or ninety two when I had first played it. Um, I, as a matter of fact, my neighbor uh, Kenny over in Gloucester City, he. Uh, I think he had it for the Commodore 64, as a matter of fact. Oh, and sweet. Yeah, yeah, because I remember, I think it was on a computer. Yeah, I, I remember seeing it, and I remember nothing else but the Ronnie Dangerfield <laughs> skate shop. Uh, I, that, that's all I remembered as a kid. And I, and, and then the, the really, the next time I ever played it was actually at our... I remember when me and you and Lynn, we all were hanging out uh, at his house and we were playing it? Yeah, yeah, that was like the first time since I was probably about five or six years old that I had played that game, and I remember doing the joust and everything, and I remember how fun it was. Joust was one of my favorites. Oh my goodness, yeah, I love, I love that, and it was, you know, that was what maybe ten years ago, so we would, we yeah. were teenagers then, and 
and it was fun. I mean, and that was way past the NES life cycle. So I, I think that's a strong testament to the game. But yeah, I think that was my first real memory of playing it. It wasn't until I was a teenager. I actually probably graduated from high school. It's, it's a good game. Uh, Rodney Dangerfield, well, not Rodney Dangerfield, but... Uh, What's his name, Rodney Recluse? Rodney Recluse, yes. <laughs> With his purple mohawk and his Marine Corps tattoo. He used to scare me a little bit as a kid. I don't know, that face, like, just staring at you scared me. He does kind of have the bug eyes. He does, and he, he, he just stares like it's the unblinking eye. <laughs> oh, as a matter of fact, uh, speaking of him, I actually wrote down some of his, uh, his quotes. Uh-huh. So, so here's what Rodney says. Semperfy or die. That's when you click on his tattoo. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't you like my do? That's when you click on his hair. <laughs> oh, oh. Speaking of his hair, I think in the Commodore 64 version it's purple, but in the NES version it's blue. Man, he just he just changes his hair. He was like Dennis Rodman. He was doing the Dennis Rodman thing before Dennis Rodman was. He's Dennis Rodney. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good, Rob. Oh, thank you. I try. Okay, so. <laughs> Uh, if you stare in his eyes, he goes, what are you staring at? It's, uh, there, oh, there's that joust thing right above his head. It says, use this bopper in the pool joust. And then he also says, watch the corners in the pool joust. So he actually gives you some advice. He's not such a bad guy. No, he's all about safety. You know, He doesn't want people with like poked out eyes or scrapes <laughs> or cuts. He just likes them to like <laughs> go at each other full speed with sticks and hit each other. Yeah, totally nice guy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, someday you might be on a poster. He says that. He says, sign in here if you want to compete. Quit your yakking and go practice. And getting serious, well, so go compete. So that yes. those those are the uh, the insightful quotes of uh, Ronnie Recluse. He's just a fount of inspiration. He really is. He really is. <laughs> um, so, so Landon, why don't you tell us about some of the, the, the gameplay in the game that you noticed? The, the, the two events that I really, really liked, and when I was younger and still to this day, the only two events that I really play and am decent at are the uh, the pool joust, which is one, mm-hmm. and the uh, downhill, what they call the downhill jam. The the pool joust is it's just an empty big pool, you know, in the gra- uh, in-ground pool, and before you start, you pick an opponent, and the, the three opponents are Poser Pete, who he's he's kind of a cool looking dude you know he's just he's not really into skateboarding but he does it because his friends do it uh aggro eddie who you know he's pretty good jouster he's He's not not the best but you know he's he's not poser pete right and uh bionic lester he's called bionic lester in some games but i think in nes he was just lester right Lester is the kid who lives, breathes, and eats skateboarding and pool jousting. The The way you do the pool joust is you start out on one side of the pool, your opponent starts out on the other, and you go at each other. Now, you can move side to side in the pool, but you go back up the other side of the pool and come back down. I think you have three passes that you have to, uh, that you have to hit your uh, opponent. There's no break. The only time you take a break during this event is if someone gets knocked off their skateboard, which gets the, uh, the other person a point. But you make three passes, and you try to knock your opponent off the skateboard. And to, to do that, you can either run into them with the pull bopper out, or when you go by them, you hit the A or B button, and your guy, the, the pool bopper, flashes, and I think that's kind of like indicating that your guy swung and tried to hit him with the bopper. You get three passes. If you don't hit the opponent with the bopper and three passes, then they get the, the bopper given to them, and you're on defense trying to dodge their bopper. And the first person to get three points 
is the winner. You get a point for knocking the guy off of his off of his skateboard. So that's the point of the pool joust. And the only guy I've ever beaten is Poser Pete. I've went two to three with Agro Eddie, and I've went zero oh and three with Lester. Dude, Lester's a beast. Yeah, but I know. Yeah. I know some folks who've beat Lester. Probably Lynn. Yeah, dude, Lynn, <laughs> Lynn could do it in his sleep. The guy I used to work with, he uh, he did it. He said, you know, back when they used to play Skater Die all the time, back he said when he was like 17, 18, you know, that Lester was nothing to him. He's like, dude, I can beat Lester in the first three tries. Nice. I always thought that was ridiculously hard. I think I've only beaten Poser Pete myself. It's, I like the idea, though. That's a pretty cool idea for a game, though, like a mini game within a game. In fact, I was playing it today, uh, actually this morning, trying to see if I could beat Poser Pete, and I couldn't actually beat him. That's how bad I am at this game. But I remember just thinking the whole game, the, like, the whole environment of the game, uh, or the graphics of the game, and, um, it reminds me of New Jersey. I don't know why it reminds me. It really of, does. It, it does. It does. And, and uh, that pool scene, it just reminds me of somebody's in-ground pool in their backyard. And you'll actually notice in the background uh, some of the graphics. You'll see some of the uh, the row homes in the background. That reminds me of New Jersey so much. So <laughs> I was like, hey, that's where I live. It's a, it, it was a pretty cool. I like that one. That was probably my favorite event. I think that was a lot of people's favorite event was the Jouts. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, it's mine. I know that. Oh, yeah, and I like when you, like, knock the guy off, and he's, like, laying there, like, on the back of his head, and your little guy goes, hee hee <laughs> he knocks him off. <laughs> Nick DeMarco, uh, one of our friends, he wrote an awesome review on Skater Dad the other day, and he, you know, he brought up a good point. As a kid, he always thought they were Q-tips they were holding. <laughs> See, I did, too. I always thought that was Q-tips. Like, I guess it was kind of like those jouster sticks, like, from American Gladiators. <laughs> Turbo. <laughs> laser and laser. Oh, my. <laughs> So, uh, so how about the jam? What was that like? The jam was, uh, it was a race. There were, there was another race, and I think that's one of the ones you're going to go over. But the jam was a race between you and either the computer or a friend. I think the jam was one of the ones you could do two player in. Mm-hmm. You what? What the the premise was was you selected whether you wanted to do regular board stance or what they call goofy footed. Which mm-hmm. you know I'm not I'm not a big skateboarder, but I kind of I used to know the difference. I can't remember them now though. But. I, I think what it means at least in the game is that um, I think your controls are inverted. Maybe. Yeah, that may be it. Yeah, yeah, and I think goof, goofy foot is actually when you have a different stance than the, like the normal standard uh, straight on stance on the skateboard, but. Uh, uh, I, I think it's, yeah, I think it's like your back leg's kind of perpendicular on the board, and then your front leg is kind of like facing forward. Yeah, uh, but the the jam was an event where you start. You're in a city, and you're going down an alleyway. You and the the guy you're you're racing against are just trying. To, it's it's basically a race, mm-hmm. and you're trying to get points. Like you can get points by kicking the opponent off of his board or punching him off. Uh, running over soda cans, uh, doing jumps, and like trying to do a trick as you're going down the hill of the alley there. Mm-hmm. And the whole point of this was to try to get to a police car before your uh, opponent does. <laughs> Which kind of is the opposite of real life, right? <laughs> yeah, real. I mean, usually you're like, oh, we got to run away from the cops. No, this one, it's like you're trying to become the ultimate tattletale. <laughs> it's like, I'm telling on you for skateboarding. Well, I'm skateboarding too, but I'm telling on you anyway. So. <laughs> You know, that's kind of the whole deal with that, I think. But you're trying to get points, and the winner is the one who has the most points at the end. But, like, if you don't do a trick, if you don't run over a soda can, if you don't knock the guy off of his board at all, if you just make it to the police car, usually you have enough points to win. But the thing I always liked about that was there's a chain link fence in some sections of it that you have to go around. And if you don't go around it, like, your little guy goes through it, 
and he just turns into like little cubes. <laughs> like when he wrecks, he just like goes through the chain link, and it's like the chain link cut him in half or cut him into pieces. <laughs> he just kind of turns into pieces on his board and gets back up and starts skating again. The the downhill jam, I always liked that one too. Like it was one of those. I got blisters on my thumb when I was a kid playing it. And, and honestly, the controls in this game, they're, it's definitely a learning curve. I mean, basically, as soon as you get out of Rodney's shop, you, you are thrown right into trying to skateboard to your different events, and that control is definitely awkward at first. It really is. It, it takes some getting used to, and the, the controls for each event are, are different, too, and you have to you kind of have to learn the controls for each event, too, and then yeah, yeah. overall. So it, it's definitely a learning experience, but once you figure it out, it's a really fun game. Definitely. Yeah, and some of the other events, um, actually, you know, like, you, you named the two main ones I think most people remember, but, um, you know, there is the race, uh, you know, it's pretty self-explanatory. You're racing either against your friend or, um, or the computer. Um, there is the high jump and the freestyle event. Like the high jump is basically you've got this this ramp, and I think you hold down B or you hold down one of the buttons, and and you press down as you're you know at the bottom of the ramp, and that builds up momentum when you get to the top, and then they measure how far you've gotten, uh, how far you've launched into the air. Um, for me, I tried it this morning. I can only do, get about 13 feet, and I think the most you can get is about 15 or 16 feet. And, and, and then the next one is the freestyle, um, which is this probably the only gripe I have with the game is it's the same exact course. It's the same exact ramp with the same fans and everything, but only instead of them measuring how high you jump, you're, you're doing these different tricks, you know, whether it's a 180, whether it's a, um, a stall, or whether it's a 720 or anything like that. Oh, 720, that's a good game. Yeah, it is. That's, that's a one that was out around the same time as this one, too, wasn't it? That, that's true, and I think they were the first one to say skater die, right, in the arcades? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so, so they used the same exact kind of level, except they changed the controls a little bit. So that might have been a little bit lazy on the programming department, but uh, but it's still fun and get so many points for, obviously, the most the more complex your tricks are, the more points you're going to get. And if you get high enough points to where you can beat, say, Lester or Poserpede or uh, Agro Eddie, then you get on the high scoreboard for um, Rodney's uh, high scoreboard in a skate shop. <laughs> One thing I really noticed is how awkwardly and how stiff the, the player falls when he doesn't land a trick. It is hilarious. <laughs> like, he'll, nope. fall, he'll fall off the ramp, and then the crowd, they just they stare. No one tries to help him up or anything. It's just kind of silence, and you hear some crickets in the background, and he's like, I broke my leg! <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, that, that's the, uh, the three other events. And, um, you know, it's just a really fun game. It's basically a game of a bunch of mini games but it's still fun it's still addictive and and i think you know just my first experience true experience with it you know when i was probably about 16 or 17 years old um is a pretty good testament to how well this game's held up because i loved it i thought it was really fun i think overall it, it holds up what do you think landon i think it does too i think it's one of those games that it it's fun to play by yourself but it's really fun to play with other folks and try to push each other yeah i agree what I love about it, it's not just like you're taking turns. You're racing down these these downhill jams, or you're you're jousting against these you know the other player. I think that's just that was a really cool way to do a two player game. It really was. Instead of like saying, "Oh, well, I got this score, you try to beat it," it's like, "Hey, let's fight each other in the pool joust, and hey, let's race each other in the downhill." Exactly. Well, we got quite a few comments on this uh, skater die with the Lester photo. Yeah, I agree. Or I the agree. or the Rodney photo. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, first one, our good friend, our new friend, Brent Dolan. He says, hey, kid, what you looking at? Only on the C64 version, I think, right? <laughs> Actually, I think he says that on 
the NES version or, or something similar to that. Like when you when you point over his eyes, he says like, "What are you staring at?" or something like that. So I think it's in both, but I, I could be wrong on that. He doesn't like people to make eye contact with him. No, no, you look down when you go in his skate shop. That's right, and you only speak when spoken to. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, our friend Eric Purcell, who also was the winner of the signed game, which I need to sign. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, we both we both do. We're sorry about that, Eric. <laughs> yeah, we're we're working on it. Yeah, we we uh, do have the game. We promise. We do. We're not we're not pulling your leg or anything. No. <laughs> uh, Eric says, I remember how much more I enjoyed Skate or Die too. That game was amazing, and it actually said Skate or Die, which was incredible at the time. <laughs> yeah, that actually is really surprising, because most of the people you talk to about Skate or Die, they always prefer the first one over the second one, so it's uh, nice to have a little change there. Uh, our buddy Josh Witt, who is our partner in Digital Crime, that's right. he says, I can't start up Skate or Die without smiling and remembering the good old days. I love the music, especially on the Commodore 64's uh, SID chip. The low times were definitely worth the wait. Joust was always a ton of fun, and you couldn't help but cheer after you finally put Lester down in the pool. <laughs> I, I've never done it, so I don't know—I don't even know how that feels. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I, I, I put Poser Pete down, and I thought I was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> the downhill jam was lots of fun, too. I used to hit the chain link fence just to see my skater fall to pieces. Hey, that's like what you mentioned. Hey. <laughs> um, I think I may have killed a few joysticks trying to set a record on the high jump, too. Nice. Uh, he says, oh, he also follows it up. I know the Commodore 64 actually saved scores. I don't remember if the NES version actually did have a save battery or not. I don't know. I'm not real sure. I don't know if it did or not either. That's a good question. That's Yeah, yeah. E- email us. <laughs> That's right. Steve Vergara says, yeah, the C64 version was the bomb. But just like everything else, they poured it to the NES, and it sucked. See Maniac Mansion. Wow, strong words. Uh, see, I, I like the NES version. I don't think it's that bad, but, you know, uh, that's the only one I've ever played, so... i say, that's the only one I ever played. That was the first one I played, too, so it may... I may change my uh, opinion on it. Yeah, yeah, I, I do know that I, I have seen, um, you know, gameplay of the Commodore 64 version. It does look pretty, and uh, the music, I think, in the Commodore 64 version is better, in, in my humble opinion. As a matter of fact, I think John had discussed that on the Nerd Noise radio, so he, he compared the title screen of the NES version of Skater Die to the Commodore 64 one, and most people picked the Commodore one because it had the uh, guitar samples, so so I think a lot of people feel that way. Let's see, Luca Noir says, ah, the good old days. I remember how many NES remotes lost their lives due to this game. If I only knew what I know now and bought an NES Max Turbo, remote lives would have been spared. Stupid high jump. <laughs> I was never good at the high jump. I could never, I could never get it figured out. Yeah, even it's... now, I, even now, I have a hard time with it. Uh, Benjamin Mills says, for the longest time, I thought of this guy as the long lost brother to Rodney Dangerfield, <laughs> <laughs> and like about five people liked it. <laughs> so, I know. Like, hey, it's. I think that's popular comments. Yeah, I think that's uh, the general consensus that the the main character here is definitely Rodney Dangerfield. Our good friend, uh, Alan Hidman, says, This is the greatest skateboarding game I have ever played. The half-pipe stage was my favorite. Francisco Gamboa says, Whoa, is that the dude from Sketchin'? <laughs> <laughs> I think it is. <laughs> oh, my. Now, that's a good game. We'll have to review that one day. Oh, yeah. All right, let's see. Uh, Dan Restaino, he says, Always, uh, always thought he looked like Ronnie Dangerfield. Anyone else? And then, like, three people liked his his uh, question. And then uh, Mike Cervantes follows it up by saying, Or Uncle Fester. <laughs> Oracle Fest. <laughs> uh, oh, Landon, you get to do it again. Do oh, the next I get one. To do it again. Uh-huh. Uh, Mike Casa says, "Skate or die. Skate or die. Die, 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 die." 
love that old tune. <laughs> I think everybody else does, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. So uh, we did get one email about this, and it's from our good friend James from the XS Gaming Podcast. So he says he was a huge Skater Die fan, and this is what he says. Uh, what a fate I was dealt. I just wanted to skate, but I was too chunky or husky, as the jeans implied, and couldn't ride a bike, much less board with wheels. My first NES game was TNC Surf Designs. Oh, man, I remember that one. I remember that one. I had the grill on it. <laughs> That's right. Uh, which had a skate function, but lacked a true skate feeling, whatever that felt like. I was between 9 and 11 years old. Hot pink shorts with black skulls, quicksilver shirts, and gotcha clothes. You remember the gotcha clothes, the neon ones? I, I remember those. <laughs> yeah, me too. I was uh, always too big to wear them. I was like, husky too. <laughs> Uh, Vision Street wears shoes and hip pouches. I had the gear, but lack of skill. I was a poser. He was like Poser Pete. Tony Hawk was in the magazines, but he didn't have a game. Yet. Uh, but then came a game with a choice. Skate or die. Which was also an alternate title for the film Gleaming the Cube. This game ha has a more realistic feel than TNC. Half pipes, downhill races, high jumps, and everyone's fave, the joust. My friend and I played this game so much, along with other classics as roller games and caveman games. Ah, the 80s. The best thing about Skate or Die was a two-player function. You and a friend head-to-head. -head. It always seemed to be a tie in the first events, and finally settled in an empty pool with giant Q-tips. <laughs> Those days were great. Uh, you would play a game with uh, the whole weekend and never got bored. And they say kids have ADD. There was no deficit of attention when it came to Skate or Die. The only thing better may be Double Trouble. And we played Ski or Die, but those memories are frozen in time. Awesome. Well, thank you, James. That was an excellent Thanks. review there. That was poetic. That kind of summed up everything. So, I think the final consensus is Skate or Die is indeed a classic, so take that, Total Magazine. I think it's a good game, uh, personally, and it seems like the fans agree, and Landon, you, you, do you agree? Yeah, I guess so. You okay, man? Well, it, it's just that playing this game, it, it reminds me of how seriously I took skateboarding back when I was a kid. And now they're having the annual half-pipe joust tournament today. Poser Pete, you know, he, he wins it every year, and it, it, it burns me up. I try my best, and I can never beat Pete. You know, I, I, if I had the right board, I could beat him. I know I could. Well, I'll tell you what, man. I know just the guy we need to talk to, Rodney the Recluse. Rodney the Recluse? No way. He's a hoser. He never lets me post any of my high scores on a wall. Hey, take off. He's a good guy. Trust me. Hey there, Rodney. How's it going? I tell you, I don't get no respect at all. <laughs> <laughs> hey, chill out, Rodney. At least you got a good family. What a dumb family I got. Looked up my family tree, I found out I'm the sap. I mean, my family's always been mixed up. Why, in the Civil War, my great-grandfather fought for the West. Well, at least you have your health. You know, I played a slot machine, three prunes came up. That's a good sign, too, you know. <laughs> well, listen, Rodney. You should count your blessings, man. At least you're not ugly. You kid, I know I'm ugly. I stuck my head out the window, got arrested for mooning. <laughs> you know when you're ugly, all right. Ha Halloween, I opened a front door, kids give me candy. For Halloween, we never had a pumpkin. It made me stand in the window. My old man, he didn't like my looks either. He carried around a picture of the kid who came with the wallet. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, well, at least, at least after a hard day's work at the skate shop, you got a wife to come home to. My wife is dumb. Are you kidding? You want to know how dumb she is? It takes her an hour and a half to watch 60 minutes. She can't cook at all in my backyard. The flies chipped in to fix the screen door. My house, we pray after we eat. Gave my kid alphabet soup. He spelled out help. <laughs> Man, I feel kind of bad for this guy. Sounds like he has it pretty rough. Yeah, no kidding. Hey, I know a way to help both of you guys out. 
Hey, listen, Rodney, I'll tell you what. I'll buy that golden skateboard of yours in the front window. <laughs> My old lady will kill me if she knew I was paying this much for a skateboard, but I want to help you guys out, you know? I got a dog, too. He drives me nuts. I got a dumb dog. You know, we call him Egypt. Every room, he leaves a pyramid. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, man, we better hurry. The halfpipe tournament's almost over. Ladies and gentlemen, it seems that once again, just like the past 10 years, Bozer Pete is going to win the annual RJ Halfpipe Joust Tournament. Not this year. Go get him, champ. my half-pipe hero. Thanks, big guy. Hey, let's head back home and finish up this podcast. What do you think? Can we get some ice cream on the way? You betcha. Hooray! Alright, I guess that's it for our Skater Die episode. Landon, I'm so proud of you for winning that tournament. Thanks for buying me an ice cream cone. Oh, hey, anytime, big guy. Anytime. So, we encourage you one last time to join our forums at www.theretrojunkies.com. Please join us and join in on the good conversations there. Uh, check out our Facebook pages, facebook.com slash retrogamingjunkies. That's our main page. Facebook.com slash Genesis Gems Podcast is our Genesis page. And Facebook.com slash Turtleflakes Podcast. Check them all out if you get the chance. Check out the uh, NES Podcast, our good uh, buddies Nick and Ryan. Their Facebook page is www.facebook.com forward slash NES Podcast. Again, excellent podcast. Check them out. Show them some love. Yep, yep. And check out Atari 2600 Game by Game Podcast, which is Facebook.com slash Atari 2600 Game by Game Podcast. A really good podcast. It's a weekly show. Check it out. Check out our nerd uh, network at www.facebook.com forward slash Nerds Talk Radio. Uh, that also has links to the other nerd sites, uh, Nerds Walk and uh, Nerds Noise. And check out uh, our good friend Rob's NES Club Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash the NES Club. It's a good uh, good Facebook page. He has a lot of updated content on there from the Comic-Con weekend in San Diego, so check that out. Definitely. Also want to give a shout out to Old School Games. Check their website out at facebook.com forward slash Old School Games are us. And uh, if you have any feedback for us, you can send us an email at theretrojunkies at theretrojunkies.com. Well, we had a lot of fun with this episode, and Landon, I'm so glad you're back. Oh, uh, thank you. I'm, I'm happy to be back. Oh, well, well, I'm happy to have you, man. And you are my you are officially my half-pipe hero, buddy. Thanks, big guy. <laughs> so, Again, thanks for the ice cream. It was delicious. Oh, anytime, anytime. So we all wish you all a good day and good gaming, and we will talk to you in a couple of weeks. Bye, guys. Well, I'll tell you what, man. I know just the guy we need to talk to. Rodney. He, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You're very adamant about Rodney. <laughs> You kidding? I know I'm ugly. I stuck my head out the window and got arrested for mooning. On <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Halloween, I opened the door and came to give me candy. My old man, he thought I was ugly too, you know? He carried around the picture of the kid that came with the wallet. <laughs>
ever know? Have you ever seen the rain? Coming down on a shining day. I just came up with the idea for the greatest parody game ever. What? Gyromite with John Fogarty. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's Gyromite, and you play as John Fogarty, but it plays John Fogarty music in the background the whole time. That is the greatest, that is the single greatest idea I have ever heard in my life. And instead of having Rob the Robot, you have John the Robot. It's a John Fogarty robot that does the Gyromite for you. 